Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, hit the stop button immediately. But those who embrace it, let's get rolling. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Anaheim Angels, winning the series two games to one. They currently hold a stubborn 1.5 game lead over the second-place Toronto Blue Jays. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. Co-hosting with me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, is Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'd be a lot better if uh, today went a little bit differently, but uh, I can't really be all that upset about how this weekend went. So I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Shohei Otani kind of got to Matt Barnes there. Uh, in the ninth, so Boy, did he ever spoiled man, oh, man. the sweep? But at least we had the series one going into that. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter, Jason? They can find me at Color of the Iris, uh, and that's color spelled O U R at the end. But uh, yeah, you can find me at Color of the Iris. I'll probably be, uh, you know. Tweeting up how great Aaron Judge is because he's my MVP <laughs> pick. By the way, he's looking real good. So, hey, pretty happy about that. You'll see me complaining about the Bruins on occasion when the Red Sox aren't playing. But, uh, yeah, you can find me on there. I'll be tweeting about the Red Sox as well. And also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, is Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. Uh, I um, I don't really. I'm not bothered by today at all. That's Matt Barnes' first blemish in the closer role. I'm not counting that game on the 23rd of April, I believe it was, where he gave up. Uh, it was a, I think it was a three-run homer. We ended up winning by one because that wasn't a save opportunity. Um, I'm feeling fine. You know, feeling as good yesterday as I was today. Uh, Shohei Otani is. One of, the, one of the more talented players in all of sports, not just baseball. And the fact that he went off on a really, really good closer, not surprising. More power to him. Uh, it was great game. Yeah, not bad. I mean, we lost the Oakland series, won this one. So we're kind of... We're kind of in a good spot as we go into the Blue Jay series. Off day tomorrow, so everybody gets rest, uh, especially the pitchers. So I keep meaning to ask you, Charlie, what are people from Providence called? I mean, Boston people are Bostonians, so what are what are Providence people? 
Uh, Providenzi? I Providence? <laughs> I don't know. Jason, but I will you? say this much. If, uh-huh. if you guys want to find me, Smith underscore MLB, that's where to find me on Twitter. Uh, if you have a term for it, Providen- Providenians, I, I don't know. I don't know. Does Jason know? I mean, I... Yeah, I I don't know. I I just refer to everyone from Rhode Island as Rhode Islanders. Like it, it's not I don't know, Rhode Island's not no offense, Charlie, but it's not significant enough for us to give you a nickname. <laughs> well, it, um, it, it was when the Paws I mean, there. I mean, I call people from Connecticut fake New Englanders cuz they're all Yankee fans anyway. So Yikes, that's dangerous. Um, well, you know. You guys maybe could be like Cohogians if you wanted that, but I'm not taking that. It's garbage. Yeah. Someone actually asked me if Quahog was a real place because they watched Family Guy. I was like, really? <laughs> Dude, you're from the United States and you don't know this. Really? Yeah. But, ah. Moving uh, on. I can't. It's not super quick to pull up on Google. We will have an answer for that by the end of the show. Uh, all right. So, series win, like we said. There's plenty to to talk about. Uh, and on both sides of the studs and duds uh, segment. So getting right into it, Jason, you're in the leadoff spot. Who is your stud for this Red Sox Angel series? I'm going with Nick Pavetta. Um, he pitched on Friday night. He opened up the series and he pitched six innings, uh, only gave up two runs, one of which was a solo blast to one of the best players in baseball, Shohei Otani. Um, but other than that, he had seven strikeouts, and he didn't walk anybody. And that, to me, was a real standout for Nick Pavetta so far this year because he's always been a guy that, you know, he can give you five or six innings, but you always know that he's going to walk three or four guys, right? That's always been kind of a problem of his. And it's one of my bigger concerns about him was because he relies so much on that breaking ball and sometimes he just doesn't have the greatest control of it. Sometimes you can get him in trouble and he doesn't have the greatest control and he'll end up walking guys and it can get him in trouble. But the start, he didn't walk anybody. He was, he was punching guys out. He looked pretty sharp. He looked confident. Um, and I mean, he's five and oh, now he's five and oh with a 3.16 ERA on the year. Um, the strikeout to walk ratio isn't all that impressive. He's got 42 strikeouts to 22 walks in 42 innings. So that's not like, you know, that's not anything to be all that excited about. But again, this is a guy who was at the back end of your rotation. And I will harp on this until I'm blue in the face, but you got him for Brandon Workman, who is, by the way, back in your system now because he was in Philly when we traded him. He went to Chicago. Chicago let him go. Now he's back here. And you got him for Workman and Heath Hembry, who is, I guess, in Cincinnati. I don't even remember. Um, but, again, you got a number five starter who is actually 5-0 and and is producing well for you for two relief pitchers. Like, that was, that was a really good trade. And Pavetta has been very valuable out of the back end of that rotation. In many ways, like you could even argue that he's been a little bit more reliable than Martin Perez because Martin Perez has had some up and downs. He's, you know, everyone always raves about him. Oh, Perez Day is coming. But like Pavetta has been the more reliable starter when you look at the numbers. So 
I'm just so impressed with this guy. I, I hope it keeps up. Um, I don't know if there's like a reckoning that's going to come where he goes up against tougher lineups and he gets exposed. I hope not because if Nick Pavetta is at the back of your end of your rotation and he's doing this, you're in good shape. If the front end of your rotation can get even stronger going forward and Pavetta's just back there giving you solid starts, giving you quality starts every five days, that's huge. For a team like this that is looking to contend, that is looking to bounce back after a tough COVID season, that's huge. And I just, I love the fact that they gave up basically nothing for him. I mean, he, you know, we complain about Garrett Richards all the time because Garrett Richards, if he has a bad start, oh, he's making $10 million. Why would you pay this guy $10 million? He sucks. Pavetta's making peanuts compared to that. So if he continues this, that's a great, great steal for the Red Sox. Go ahead, yeah, I mean, here, here, here's the thing. When it comes to Pavetta, quality start, which is something I harped on last time, you'd had uh, less than 20% of your uh, game started as quality starts. Six innings is what I want. Six things, six innings is is all I ask for. Pavetta came out, gave six innings, struck out seven, allowed no walks. One run on four hits. The second run came in because Andres couldn't do his job. He kept Mike Trout hitless. Walsh was hitless. Those are the two best hitters on your team. Your two through six guys in your lineup struck out twice each. Each. Ten strikeouts between five guys. That's not good. Your team's already set up for, for not a good spot. Pretty much failure. Had it not been for both relievers directly after each starter, kind of making this game a little bit interesting, uh, I, Pavetta got robbed. The Red Sox offense did him a disservice. This is a guy statistically who's been getting a lot of run support as evidenced by the fact that he hasn't lost his Red Sox. Um, but he did fantastic. 74% strikes. Yes, he had two earned, but one technically not his fault. Um, as for Keith Embry, Keith Embry has a 0.0 ERA with 11 strikeouts and 9 and two-thirds. I actually was curious because I was like, I wonder what he's doing now. He's actually doing okay. I'll take it. Not my team, whatever. But, uh, Few pitchers have been as consistent as Nick Pavetta. So, um, I mean, more power to him. That's it, It's crazy to think that Pavetta's borderline your ace right now because he's the only one that's consistently doing damage. That's it. Well, I'm just going to say it. I, I think Nick Pavetta is the ace of the Red Sox right now. Um, he's really the last three, four starts looked really good. There was that one start against Baltimore where they had to take him out in like three and one third or three and two thirds. And ever since he just always has opposing lineups off balance. He doesn't give up a ton of hard contact. And I keep waiting for that bad start, kind of like what Jason was referring to. And it's not happening. And like I said in the last show or the show before, if he was if he wasn't locked in mentally you would see it he would essentially be beating himself out there uh, on top of getting hit and you're not seeing that you're seeing a guy who's getting better and better and better every start and he had his career ERA was like six and a half coming here and the Phillies just gave up on him and he's turned it around it's hard to compare another season 
like his so far that's gotten off so good. And he's 7-0. and If you take the two starts from last year, he's never lost in a Red Sox uniform. He's never lost in a Red Sox uniform. So we're at the start of this tough stretch, so we'll we'll see what happens as we go from here. But, Charlie, you're stud for the series. So my stud has been relatively consistent. I like to recycle between Raphael Devers and Rafi Devers and R. Devers, and I just, I'm just i all about Devers this year, and J.D. Martinez. Uh, Devers went four for 11, three singles, a homer, four RBIs, four runs scored. A walk, four strikeouts. I don't care about the strikeouts because he's doing work. Hitting 364. What more could you ask for? You're getting on base. You're hitting people in. You're scoring runs. You're not the fastest guy on the team. Um, I'll take that every day that ends in Y for three game series. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you asked what more could you ask for from Devers? Maybe just stop throwing the ball into the dirt. Um, that may. Might be my only thing I would ask for more. But other than that, yeah, Devers is uh, hes rounding back into that superstar form that we all hope for. Um, he's hes starting to so, show some swagger, too. Like, when he hits, he hits the ball deep, like, it, it's, it's Ortiz-like. You know, he just, he's sitting there watching it, and, you know, hopefully it goes out. He's done that on a few deep flyouts at times, but like that home run today that he hit, that was a bomb. I mean, that was an absolute bomb. I know that like it only went to the first row in right field and Fenway, but right field and Fenway is deep. Like if that was Camden Yards, if that was Yankee Stadium, that was Yankee Stadium. That's in the third deck. Like he just hits absolute missiles. He hits the ball so hard. And I just wish that he was a little sharper defensively. I wish that he would cut down the strikes up strikeouts a little bit. But other than that, Devers is becoming that left-handed power threat in your lineup that this team really needs because Bogarts and Martinez have been hitting the crap out of the ball. If Devers can go along with that and he's a left-handed power threat, oof, look out. The middle part of that lineup is going to look nasty. So I've been real impressed with Devers. I, I love that he's really powering up and that, the average is starting to go up, too. He's starting to really become an all-around great player. Like I said, defense, I just wish it was a little bit sharper. But you know what? For the most part, he's not a detriment out there either. So if he's hitting for power and, you know, for the most part, he's serviceable defensively, I'm good with that because he, he, he does. He looks like he's turning into a real superstar. You stole my thunder a little bit, Jason, and I kind of had a tweet earlier. Uh, it was just a video of the home run, and I said, you know, I'm really surprised that Devers doesn't get more comparisons to David Ortiz because he's a heavy set lefty, he's a power hitter, and he has the big-time clutch gene. We were down by two runs today when he hit that three-run bomb, and then he gave us the lead. Unfortunately, the ninth inning happened the way it did, but but – their makeup is is very similar, and Devers has already an elite slash line in the month of October. He's a 311 hitter, 373 on base guy in October with a 511 slugging percentage. That's elite. He just needs those big moments in the clutch that Ortiz has, and I think, I think the comparisons are going to be real. And 
David Ortiz will be, I think, on the next ballot, be eligible for the Hall of Fame. And if Devers plays third base or first base, whatever it is, as long as he stays out of that DH position for another three or four years, his path to Cooperstown is going to be much easier than what Ortiz's might be. And he's done so much damage. He's not even 25 yet. There, I forget what the stat was, but he was on par with Ted Williams. And I don't think it was Tony Canigliero. I get him mixed up with someone, but he's got elite numbers before the age of, of 25. So, um, so it's fun to see. He currently leads the team with 11 home runs, just one more over J.D. Martinez, and he also has one more RBI than Martinez at 34. He leads so. the league in RBIs. He's leading the league now. Okay. Yeah, and J.D.'s right behind him by one. The two RBI leaders are on the Red Sox. Are they? Excellent. Yes. And I just want to say this one thing about Devers. He changes from at-bat to at-bat. He can have an ugly at-bat his third time through, but then the fourth time through, just mangle one like you saw. And the only reason I'm pointing that out is if he can clean up those other at-bats, the dude's going to be a monster. I mean, he's going to have a he's going to have that 340 batting average with the over 400 OBP. So... Like what I'm seeing, he's uh, some days Xander's my favorite player, some days uh, um, uh, Devers is. So, my stud for the series, I didn't think I'd be picking this guy this soon because I've been torching him most of the season, but uh, that is Bobby Dahlbeck. Had a couple of uh, good games. Uh, game number one, he hit a two-run shot uh, off of uh, Tony Watson, Angels reliever, and that gave the Red Sox the lead. They were trailing by one and were up four to three when that happened. Also, impressively, he was down in the count. It was a one-two count when he hit it. And one of my complaints about Dahlbeck all along is he hasn't been good in the clutch. He hasn't been good with runners on base. His late inning at-bats haven't really been good. So it's good to see him have kind of a breakthrough performance like that. Also, game two, he hit a wall ball double that scored uh, Bogart's endeavors, who were both on first and second at the time. It was hit right off the top of the monster, and uh, the left fielder didn't play it too well. Probably not uh, too familiar with uh, the wall here at Fenway. But it, it was... It was a big moment for Dahlbeck, and it's a continuation of of some some other good games he had leading up. So uh, suddenly he's not on the hot seat. I wonder if Michael Chavis being up kind of kind of gives him a, a little bit more momentum, lights a fire under him. But uh, the bottom third of the order is completely different. And actually, that's another point I wanted to make. If this was a few weeks ago he strikes out or doesn't get a hit in that spot, and then the Red Sox lose the game by a run. So that's the difference. When the bottom of the order is hitting like this, you squeeze some of those games out all of a sudden. And we weren't doing that, you know, in, in, in other series, uh, the Texas series and 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 what have you. So, Jason, thoughts on Dahlbeck? Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned Chavis being up here. I, I do think that has something to do with it. 
I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast. Like, if Chavis comes up and he hits and he looks really good, maybe Dahlbeck doesn't get as much time as the Red Sox management would like him to have. And maybe he does get sent back down when everyone gets healthy. But he responded to that challenge. He saw Chavis coming up. He heard the whispers. And um, at least for this weekend, he looked really good. And look, I hand up. I said it on last week's show that I wanted Albert Pujols here um, <laughs> over Bobby Dahlbeck. I, I will I will freely, you guys can roast me on Twitter all you want. You can torpedo me. I get it. I was wrong, okay? Pujols went to the Dodgers like a coward. He, he pulled a Kevin Durant and just was ring chasing So because he didn't want to move. Oh, so sad. It's so hard to move um, when you have millions of dollars. But he he went to the Dodgers, and so whatever, fine. You know what? Screw him. We don't we don't need forty one year old Albert Pujols. We'll stick with Bobby Dahlbeck. You know what? I was impatient through the month of April, even through the first two weeks of May. If he's going to start heating up now, and by the end of the year, if he's hitting even two sixty, two sixty five, and he's hitting for power, and he still plays decent defense over there at first base, then I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine with that. Like, you know, I, I, I admit I was impatient on him. I was very impatient because I saw this Red Sox team contending at the very start, and I thought, you can't have a bottom of the lineup. That's just a zero. But as you said, Terry, the bottom of the lineup is picking it up now. Renfro is starting to heat up. Dahlback is starting to heat up. So – if you know, I grant you still have Franchi Cordero playing games, which is beyond me. But like, if those guys can start heating up and Dahlbeck is part of that, that's great. I mean, I if he starts hitting for power and he starts getting more confidence, he's a young kid. Maybe that's all he needs. Just get a little confidence, get get a little bit of a hit streak going, and I'm all for it. I you know, maybe maybe I'm off the send Bobby Dahlbeck to to Worcester train. I I might be. Might be his biggest advocate now. Oh, I know. <laughs> Jeez, Jason, you change your opinion from Albert Pujols faster than JLo switches her men. It's true. Uh, it's true. I'll 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 say this much. You know, like you weren't the only one. I mean, I I wasn't a huge fan, but I was like, you know, if Jim Boston, I'd be okay with it. Um, I'm not completely off the Chavis train yet, and the reason for that being. I do agree that he's got an extra torch. Bobby Dahlbeck, that is, has an extra torch lit under him to do well. Because this really, by all means, probably is Chavis's last shot. But, you know, there are some people um, out there that are already calling for him to get sent down. And to me, that's just, wow, interesting. You have no problem with Franchi Cordero being here, but you have a problem with Chavis being up here? Kind of makes me question how much knowledge you have of the sport and the team. Your GM believes in certain players. You know who you are, but you don't believe in this guy. So you want to drink the Kool-Aid some days that end with Y, but not others. Well, okay, cool. We're still in first place. Chavis still can play multiple positions. Dahlbeck, last time I checked, plays one. Chavis can play that position and more. Chavis has been here for a couple of games. Dahlbeck has been here all season. And we were calling for Dalvik to be sent down two weeks ago. And now he's starting to hit. Chavis has had a couple games. We're already calling for him to get sent down. I'm not buying it. So props to Dalvik for doing what he's doing. Uh, a rough game three, but whatever. I mean, he was still able to mash in games one and two. So 
I'm not going to complain. As long as the team keeps winning, it's going to be really hard for us to complain. So I'll leave it there. Uh, honorable mentions for the series. Uh, Hunter Renfro, two-run shot off of Griffin Canning, uh, which went to dead center right over the the head of Mike Trout, and everybody says Hunter is uh, Trout's doppelganger. So uh, kind of... Kind of cool there. Count was in his favor three to one, and it gave the Red Sox a two to one lead. So probably don't win that game without Hunter Renfro. But I'm gonna get my digs in. I'm not a Hunter Renfro guy, and he did go over eight the rest of the season. So for the for the Renfro huggers, there you go. Alex Verdugo uh, hit a 427 foot bomb off of Dylan Bundy in the second game of the series. That got the Sox on the board one to nothing. Doogie was 0 for 14 prior to that at bat, so it's good to see him uh, waking up. He also had another base hit uh, later in that game. Uh, Bogarts also just hit an absolute blast uh, clear over the green monster on the land down street, uh, also off of Dylan Bundy. Uh, that again was a three run shot, and it put the Red Sox up seven to nothing. Uh, Bogarts also had, uh, well, he was three for 10 on the series, but, uh, still, uh, a key at bat there. Jonathan Arauz kind of made his presence felt, uh, today in game three, pulled a ball down the, uh, left field line, bottom of the third. Marwin Gonzalez scored on that hit. Uh, Kevin Pilecki probably could have scored had he read the ball a little differently and not hesitated on third. Maybe the outcome of the game is different, but, um, you know, kind of a kind of a tough spot there. Uh, and then speaking of Pulecki, he did get his first home run of the year, uh, a, a solo blast uh, over the monster in the fifth inning. So hopefully Dave O'Brien will shut up about the laundry cart now. Now that now that he's had a ride in it, so uh, nobody was really like utterly terrible this series. Uh, J.D. Martinez uh, was was four for eleven. Vasquez two for eight. Uh, Gonzalez not great in the batter's box, uh, two for twelve, but he uh, was very good in the field. Uh, Franchi Cordero two for four. That was a blind squirrel day, you know. He he found his nuts for the first time in like I don't know fifteen days, and. Uh, Martin Perez, gritty uh, performance, six innings uh, pitched. Got into an early jam, too, but still went six. Three hits, no earned runs. Did walk four, but didn't hurt him. Most of that was early, like I said, five strikeouts. I think his last uh, his his last uh, batter of the game was Otani, who he retired. So, uh, yeah, so that's about it for the honorable mentions. We will get over into the duds now. Jason, hit us with it. Yeah, so it's funny. We were just talking about Michael Chavis because he's my dud. Um, Chavis, he had a chance to prove himself, and I'm sorry, but he didn't do enough. Grant, he only played two out of the three games, but he went two for nine. He struck out six times and he left five guys on base. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you, you get a golden opportunity here with Kike on the disabled list, you know, and you've got a chance to play, you know, multiple games. And 
to me, what was most telling was I was watching the game today. I watched part of it on TV and I listened to part of it on the radio. And both Dave O'Brien and Joe Castiglione mentioned, oh, here comes Chavis. He's going to get a lot of high fastballs and he's probably not going to hit them. Like the, the exhaustion in Joe Castiglione's voice when it was, oh, there goes another high fastball. It's 0-2 in the count. And then, oh, he strikes out high fastball. It's like she can't lay off the high fastball. He just can't do it. And I was rooting for Chavis. Like, I, you guys know me. I, up until this weekend, like, I was not a Bobby Dahlbeck stan. I, you know, I, I, I liked him because he was a young guy. And, you know, I, I sort of wanted to give him a chance. But I was also advocating for freaking Albert Pujols to take his spot a week ago. Like, I was I was just desperate for any production out of that out of that spot. And I was hoping that Chavis would push him a little bit more in this stint up in the majors. And he just didn't. Like the two hits he had, he had a single off of like a low, I think it was like a low sinker ball or something that he just barely squeaked into left field and he had a double. That was it. That was it. He didn't do anything else in the series. He just kept chasing high fastballs and kept striking out. And Terry, I your tweet was so on point today when you said, you know, that that strikeout where Chavis was walking back to the dugout, you could tell he knew. He knew. He was just like, oh, God, I, I just I can't get it done. I, you know, this is my shot. I can't get it done. He had the look of a guy who knows he's going back to Worcester. And I'm sorry, like, this was your chance, dude. This was your chance to prove that you could earn some more playing time up here and – all he did was just strike out more, leave more guys on base. And he was in the leadoff spot. Cora put him in the leadoff spot. Like, that's Alex Cora telling you, I want you to get as many at-bats as possible. I want you leading off. I want you showing me that, like, hey, I'm here. I'm ready to take this. And Chavis did the exact opposite. He struck out. He didn't give you all that productive at-bats. And just, he was kind of a nothing this whole series again, two for nine with six strikeouts. That's not good enough. Like, sorry, Chavis, you're going back to Worcester and you probably belong there, quite frankly. Just it wasn't good enough. So this is my my take on this. Two for nine, six strikeouts, sixty-seven percent, not good. Two out of three at bats, strikeouts ugly. Bobby Dahlbeck was two for his first twenty-one with nine strikeouts in his first twenty-one at bats, and not one person. Not one person was speaking as as aggressively as they are so far tonight about send him down to Worcester, send him down, do that. No one said anything about that to, to Dahlbeck. Why? Because he was a rookie? So I'm saying because Dahlbeck didn't decide to, gee, I don't know, find the zone until, what, Baltimore series? He had a homer against the Mets, but when, his second one was he's had two meatball pitches right down the pipe. Like, dude, Jason, you and I could hit that home run. With one hand, we could stroke that thing out. So I'm not I'm not really buying into it yet. I I, I, I can't do it. Like I'm not gonna say shoot him down because then we're that's bias. Well, all of a sudden we're gonna be biased to certain players that you know have have already been there and whatnot. I'm gonna give him a little bit more time. I'm a more of a Chavis guy than I'm a Dalbeck guy, just because I am. Like I I feel like it'd be stupid to give one person more opportunity than another. That's just me though. I mean it sucks that he had a bad series. Dahlbeck was hitting under 200 for the first two and a half weeks of the season. Chavis is hitting 240. He's had one home run. He's had 
as many doubles so far this season that Dalbeck had all of April. He's played seven games or eight games. Well, I don't I, think it's that, that, that many. He doesn't have to go on the first wave of guys that get sent down. Right. But, Jason, do you want to weigh in, though, real quick? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I look at Dahlbeck and Chavis as very much the same player. I, I think that they're power guys that are going to strike out a lot. They're going to chase bad pitches. They don't have great plate discipline. I think defensively, maybe Dahlbeck has a slight edge, but I'm not even sure about that anymore. I mean, Chavis has shown that he can play left field, second base, first base. Dahlbeck is just a first base, third baseman. So maybe Chavis for versatility has a little bit more, but I Charlie makes a good point. I mean, look, it was a small sample size. I just, I look at a guy who was optioned down to Worcester to start the year. He didn't make the big league roster. And it's sort of like, okay, there's a bunch of injuries that have cropped up. This is your chance. Like, and they sort of mentioned it on the broadcast today. It's like Alex Cora is sick of answering the question. What's, what's Chavis's future? It's today. It's the next game. Like, stop swinging at the high fastball. You can't hit it, dude. Like, it, it, we've seen that. So I think the organization is frustrated with Chavis. I think they're also probably frustrated with Dahlbeck. But I wonder if this is where Kyan Bloom steps over Alex Cora a little bit. And Kyan Bloom says, you know what? I'm a Dahlbeck guy. So I know that you're... You want to give Shavis opportunities, you want to hit him lead off, but I think Dahlbeck's a better prospect. So when Kike's healthy and when everyone's healthy, Shavis goes back down, Bobby stays back up because I believe in him. Again, that's just speculation on my part. It's wild speculation. I have no sources on that, but that's just the feeling I get. So, I, again, I, I look at them as very much the same player. I just hope that if they have this much belief in Bobby Dahlbeck, that he proves them right. And he steps it up because, you know, Chavis didn't look good this weekend, but if he tears it up in Worcester for the next couple months, you know, what are they going to do then? If the decision had to be made tomorrow and it was first base and one of those two had to go, Chavis is going, I think. I think Dahlbeck has the leverage right now. Um I don't, I mean, I want them both to succeed and I like them equally. I think they're both good, you know, good guys to have in the clubhouse. I don't have any problem with either one. Um, with Chavis, it's the plate discipline. It's the plate discipline. It's laying off those high fastballs. It's putting those good plate appearances together. I mean, Christian Vasquez is hitting like 250 right now, 255, something like that. But he gives us a good at bat. He grinds it out and he gets a hit or whatever, or finds a way to move the runners at least. Marwin Gonzalez, same way. Chavis constantly behind in the count. And that high fastball is still, he, he loves high fastballs. Like I love pizza, you know, <laughs> you just can't say no. And, um, I'm rooting for the guy. And when I made that tweet, how dejected he looked and how defeated he looked. And they also showed him just bypassing everybody in the dugout and heading down into the tunnel. He clearly, he made, he made some adjustments after, cause he got two hits right after that. So, um, 
I guess what I would really like to see here is Franchi go down in the first in the first wave because it it sounds like Kike will be the first one up, and then maybe Santana at some point, and it looks like Arroyo's going to be behind them because he's not even playing games right now because he took two fastballs in the hand. So I'd like to see Chavis get a few more games to to make the sample size bigger. If he's still striking out in in fifty percent of his at bats, he's gone, and and he had his chance, and and that's going to be the end of it. And he, he, to be fair, he didn't really blow it this year. He blew it last year, and in the second half of twenty nineteen, we had prospects in the pipeline that were going to come up and be studs. So, you know, so it's on him, Charlie. Who's your dud for the series? The dud that I had was uh, Nate Evaldi. Um, he's giving us his best Josh Beckett impression of one crap performance followed by one nice performance, then one crap one and one nice one. And next week he gets to face the Phillies. He gets to face Anderson, who's got an ERA to the moon. Um, but that, that was it. It was uh, no quality start. Six hits, four runs, did not have it. I mean, the second inning did not tell the full picture. I mean, that second inning got away from him so fast, so fast. And it was so lucky that he got the out at home when he did because this game could have gotten way out of hand. He might I mean, if that inning kept going, he might have been pulled after three. It just it, the second inning saved him. And there's nothing else to say. Like, it's just he's been the last five, six starts. It's, it's good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good. It, it, it's It's frustrating. And this is supposed to be the guy that walked into the season. This was the guy who people looked at as your 1B ace. You have Erod and Evaldi. And then you have a couple other guys. You got Martin Perez, Garrett Richards, and Nick Pavetta. And your best pitcher is Nick Pavetta. I'm not going to say his name, but he's he's hinting at the second best guy. Uh, you, you know, And then you have Erod there. Evaldi's like your five right now, or your four. Like he's He's pitching to what he probably should be when he's not, you know, forget about how much he's getting paid because I don't care about that. But this hurts. You, you need better. You, you just need you need to be better. And, and that, this just was not better. So, you know, Angels got thumped in game two. I wanted to be able to say that at least once tonight. I got to say it. Uh, game three, it was a lot closer. Um, and at the end of the day, the, the better team won. Jason. Yeah, this was, it was a frustrating start for Evaldi. And um, this is where, so first of all, his body language was not great for me. And I still think Garrett Richards has the worst body language of any pitcher I've ever seen because he just immediately hangs his head anytime anything remotely bad happens. But Evaldi, um, you know, he he showed a little bit of that same thing today. Like just he he was getting he was getting squeezed a little bit, but he wasn't getting squeezed that much. Like he was looking for strike calls that were not even close. And he was getting frustrated. He was, you know, kind of giving that little smirk a little bit. And the other thing too is what happened to the Evaldi that was throwing the breaking ball more? What happened to that? Like I feel like today it was all fastball cutter. And he was just pounding the zone with fastballs and cutters. And then, you know, granted, he had some bad luck. He he had a couple of duck squirts that, you know, some broken bat hits that just 
you know, fell perfectly into the outfield, but I didn't see a whole lot of breaking balls there. Maybe I, I don't know. Like maybe I wasn't watching closely enough, but it seemed like all fastball cutter. Like he was obsessed with his cutter today and it was getting him in trouble. So at what point do you go, Hey, maybe we mix in a curveball. Maybe we mix in a slider. Like, you know, it, these guys are, they're hunting for the fastball because you're an native Aldi. They know that you throw hard. They know that you throw 96, 97, and they're looking for the fastball. And that's exactly what this lineup did. So I I just wasn't impressed with the approach of Evaldi today. I feel like it was it was too much fastball cutter, not enough breaking pitches. He didn't mix it up enough. And I just didn't love his whole vibe on the mound. And I know that's a very sort of intangible, weird kind of thing to observe, but like, I didn't love the body language. He just seemed overly frustrated every time something went wrong. And for a veteran like him, that shouldn't be happening. Granted, it shouldn't be happening to Garrett Richards either, but Garrett Richards is, I think, kind of a chode. So it, you know, like I'm not surprised <laughs> that I'm not surprised that he acts that way when things go wrong for him. For Nate Valdi, it's like, dude, you, you've won a World Series. Like you've you've been in tough situations before. Like get it together, figure it out. And he just never did that today. So. Frustrating start for him. Hopefully he figures it out. He gets it back together because they need him. They need him to sort it out big time. It's hard. Yeah. And our minor league depth is, isn't great at the moment because Hauk and Siebold are both kind of in limbo. So we need these guys to have starts that aren't so stressful. Because I think those stressful starts can kind of lead to injuries. Avoli had a one, two, three first, was looking good. It was looking like it could be a continuation of his last start, which was really good. And then in the second inning, very first at bat, he he hits Anthony Rendon with a pitch. Now, Rendon didn't step into it at all, but he didn't move his feet at all. And he just kind of he just kind of twisted back. So he, he made like some effort to try to avoid it but not a ton so I don't know how Evaldi looked at that and thought well geez you know maybe maybe he could have moved maybe maybe he wanted to get hit there and because after that was when he unraveled and pitched like 40 or 50 pitches it it was a long inning and the the second part of the order was already coming up at the end of it so I don't I mean, that was just the turning point. And then that was a terrible inning. He gave up four runs. And then after that, even though he did kind of have to grind, he only gave up one single to Phil Goslin and then a double to Jared Walsh. And that was it. That was all the damage that happened after the sixth inning. So uh, the fifth inning, excuse me. So uh, two with the second inning, though, Whatever whatever the issue was, they they need to look at it and hope that he doesn't unravel just suddenly in, in a future start. Because it, it if that was a one two three inning, we're talking about another great start by Evaldi, and and it didn't happen. So, Jason, did you want to weigh in about something? I saw, no, 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 oh, I'm good. Okay. That, that's all I had on Evaldi. Oh, okay, I didn't know if you you wanted to respond to the hit by pitch or something, but but yeah. So ho- hopefully he gets it together. Uh, I'm worried, kind of like what Jason said. I, I want him to be healthy, so um, hopefully his next start will be better. I guess that's against the Phillies, Charlie. 
or you're on mute, but yeah, it, it should be the Phillies series. Sorry. Yeah. Phillies. I apologize. I thought I unmuted. Yep. Phillies. Yeah. No problem. Uh, so my dud for the series is going to be Adam Ottavino and Jason, you, you mentioned it in, in the post game reactions tweet that he's very stressful and unreliable. And that's exactly it. Uh, in today's game, he gave up a, uh, he came in with a, with a runner on, um, and then Jared, uh, uh Jared Walsh hit a single and then, uh, oh, excuse me. Did he come in with a runner on? Well, he gave up a single to Jared Walsh and then, uh, Taylor Ward, uh, got, got a hit and then, uh, Iglesias, um, ended up, uh, moving, uh, Walsh to third and it was just, it was just an ugly inning. Um, his command was off. His slider seems to be better against lefties and, and, and righties. He seems to struggle a little bit. Um, and then Barnes ended up having to come in because there were runners on the corners and uh, they needed to get one more out. So they went to Barnes for hopefully a four-out save. But here's some ugly numbers on uh, Ottavino. Um, he's got 6.3 walks per every nine innings. That's astronomical. Uh, also has 6.3 hits per nine and a 1.40 whip. So this is our eighth inning guy. That's how he's being utilized. We're seeing him mostly in eighth inning situations. So whether Alex Cora wants to, I know he doesn't seem to like labels this year. I don't know if he's officially even named Barnes the closer, even though he's one of the best ninth inning guys in Major League Baseball right now, at least coming into today. So he's probably certainly not going to, name Ottavino the setup guy, but but he guys are always getting on base with him. He gives up hits. And another problem today was a passed ball, which advanced the runner. So um it's it's ugly. And I'm wondering it's hard to we're having problems in the pen anyway, but if you want to make a move at the trade deadline and you need to free up some money, he's on a $9 million deal. And we've got roughly $5 million still that we can spend. So maybe that's how you do it. I, it's, it's tough to justify making this bullpen a little weaker. So hopefully a guy like Bizarro comes up, maybe another arm, and then and then you have a little bit more flexibility to do it. If last year was a full season, do you think we're trading? Do you think Brandon Workman is still pitching well before the July 31st deadline? That Nick Pavetta trade doesn't happen. It only happened because it was right. 2020 and it was a short season. So right. I just think if suddenly we have flexibility, they ought to look into moving this guy before he does fall off the cliff going to be hard though just because of the finances uh implicating implicated with them i mean nine million is a lot a lot of teams aren't going to want to take that kind of weight on like we'll have to pay a brunt of it for it to go um i I don't i don't know i feel like again we're halfway through may like i want to give this guy a chance too like we gave dahlbeck a chance i'm willing to give him a little bit more time it's not like we're in last place here like yes we we do need to start turning it around 
But I mean, it was a fair dud. He had a clean first game, uh, week third game. He had less than fifty percent of his pitches go for strikes. Uh, but he's he's flashed that level of inconsistency. That's a problem. So my two cents on him is, yeah, he's a fair dud, but you're not quite sure what you're going to get. He's still more consistent than not, but the walk numbers have got to come down. He's walking almost one an inning. He is striking out more than one per, but that's not enough if you're still allowing, if your whip is over one, which in this situation, it's it's well over that. So, um, yeah, he, he that's a fair dud. That's my two cents on him. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I'm I'm not willing to give up on Ottavino yet either, just because it's so early. Um, you know, we're we're only into May, and he did have a clean outing in Game One. I mean, he pitched an inning, struck out two, and you know, he, he was clean in that game. Um, my bigger question is with Cora on this one. Like, where was Sawamura in this this whole weekend? That's like, a good question. You saw Yeah, good He's what? I said that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, it, like, I get it. Salamora's had problems giving up the long ball, but you're going to use Ottavino twice, and you're not going to even pitch Salamora at all these three games? Like, I don't know. I, you know, I get it. He's given up the long ball, and that's an issue, but you have to find an eighth inning guy. I, I think Barnes is your closer. I know, like you said, Terry, Cora doesn't want to name him the closer for some stupid reason. Um, probably a nerd with a binder tells him that you can't name a guy a closer or whatever. But <laughs> he is the closer. So now you have to find an eighth inning guy. Is it Ottavino or is it Salamora or is it, you know, what? it's not Taylor. It's not Darwin's and Hernandez. It's not Phillips Valdez. It's certainly not Austin Bryce. So... Who is it? You know, and again, like you pitched Ottavino twice this series. He had one good game, one bad game. Where was Salamora? Why didn't he pitch at least one game in this series? It's just to me, I, I look at this more on I put it more on Cora than I do on Ottavino. He had one, you know, he, he had a bad outing, sure. And he has been inconsistent. And I stand by what I tweeted that like he's stressful. Man, he's really stressful. That slider isn't working for him. He's a problem. He gets hit real hard, and he gets hit easy. So um, I hope he figures it out. Again, he's 35. He's been in the league for a long time. He's been a good relief pitcher for pretty much his whole career. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and willing to give him more time. But he's got to get it together because he is still stressful to watch. And I want to see more Salamora in these situations. Like, I want Cora to trust him more. And I, I just... I don't know what he has to do to make Cora trust him more, but um, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that like the back end of your bullpen still isn't set because I don't think Alex Cora really knows what he wants to do back there. And that's, that's a problem. That's going to be a problem as we head further into the season. That's an interesting point with Salamora. And I guess I would just be happier if, if Ottavino wasn't the eighth inning guy. Because then, then it's it's a lot less of a liability. And I'll say this one last thing before we move into the preview here: um, the three batter minimum hurts a guy like Ottavino because you can't just get him out of there. You can't use him situationally. So, um, yeah. So we'll we'll just we'll see. I would love to see Salamora more in high leverage. I love that nasty splitter he has and uh 
hopefully we get to see it against either Toronto or the Phillies coming up. And actually, before I do dive into that, one big dishonorable mention, uh, Andres again nearly blew that first game. Dahlbeck Dahlbeck saved us and and got us back the lead, but he came into the game with uh, Anthony Rendon already on first base and then Albert Pujols' replacement, Jared Walsh, uh, single to left field. Justin Upton uh, came in and moved him over uh, on a uh, pop fly to right field. And uh, actually both the runners moved up to second and third. And then Iglesias ripped a ball down the opposite field, right field line. And that allowed uh, two runs to score. So we went from winning 3-2 to two to being behind uh, uh Actually, I forget what it was. I think we were it was we were up two to one, and then and then we were behind three to two. So, yeah. So anyway, uh, we will get right into the preview here with Toronto. I know our pitchers are uh, lined up for it anyway. Uh, Garrett Richards goes. Excuse me, Eduardo Rodriguez goes game one against TBD. So. Um, I guess we're just looking for a solid Rodriguez start here, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, it, this is a lineup that he should do pretty well against. Um, he can keep him off balance with his off-speed stuff. So Toronto's heating up, but I, I still expect Rodriguez to do a pretty good job against them. So he should be all right. I actually have Rodriguez against Ryu. That's what it says uh, okay. on ESPN. Yeah, oh, okay. so that's... That's a I tough think, start. I think Rod- yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, Rodriguez is due, man. I mean, I'm, I'm really waiting for him to just light it up and have like a lights-out performance. I just don't know if it's going to be this week. And I refuse to – I, I got I to knock on wood. I mean, knocking on wood right there. Uh, I'm not going to bet against Pavetta. Richards is we don't – oh, God, he's been better than average. I, I don't know. I mean, I think we still take two out of three here. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the numbers for Ryu up, but we did. Uh, we did get to him, so it's just gonna be a matter of. He's got a. He has a two point nine five ERA with a three and two record. Okay, he's, he's doing good this year. Yeah, his his uh, his worst start this whole season was against the Red Sox. Yeah, right. So if we uh, if we can get to him again, maybe it's a winnable game. But Rodriguez has to be solid, and and we need three good innings at least out of the out of the bullpen. So, uh, also, game two, that's the uh, Garrett Richards game. Uh, he is, uh, I already lost it. Who's he facing, Charlie? He's facing Ross Stripling. Uh, oh. Stripling also hasn't really had it going, or he's had moments where he's had it going on, but he's also gotten rocked. His last performance against the Braves at Atlanta, he did well. He struck out nine five innings. But, I mean, against American League teams, he just doesn't really seem to have it. Um, he's had one one whatever game against Atlanta and one really good game, but against American league opponents, no quality starts. Hasn't had a quality start all season. Uh, I, I, I don't see him doing that much damage against Boston. I think Richards has a slight edge here. Jason. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, if Richards keeps going the way he is and granted, like there was that one start against the Mets, he's, you know, he's been, pretty decent since then he hasn't been as lights out as he was that game but he's still been pretty good and i don't think ross stripling is anything special i think for this lineup if this offense is for real 
a guy like Ross Stripling, you should be able to hit. You should be able to get a lot of runs off of him, and you should be able to give plenty enough for Richards to uh, to hold it down. So they should win that game. Yeah, Richards is, uh, you know, in a bit of a rhythm now and pitching very well. So I'm just going to take it at face value and, and uh, mark that down as a, a win for the Red Sox. But he is a chode, though, Jason. Uh, game that three. That one was hurt to say, Terry. That one hurt to say. I could tell you were really hurting. I stand by that. Yes, <laughs> I stand with Jason. Uh, game three. Uh, our ace, as I said earlier in the episode, Nick Pavetta versus Steven Matz. Uh, Matz is coming off of uh, a scoreless start, so um, maybe we're catching him at a bad time, but. They're also catching Nick Pavetta at a bad time. So I'm just going to say right away, I'm I'm going to lean towards Boston on that one. I would agree. I, I don't think Steven Matz is anything special. Um, this guy's kind of been a little bit of a disappointment ever since he got into the league. Um, he was a New York native who the Mets thought would be more of their future number twos or number threes, and he never quite made it. So um, he's a lefty. Hopefully, guys like Devers and, and the other left-handed hitters don't have too much of a problem with that. But J.D. should love this guy. Um, Renfro should should have a good game against this guy. So I'm not too worried about Stephen Matz. They should win this game. So he's had four, five really good starts, two bad ones, and one mediocre one. He's five and two. Um, he started the season off three straight uh, quality starts with one earned run allowed for the first three area was 1.47. So it was like vintage Steven Matz from like the beginning, but kind of fell apart against Washington and Oakland. Um, and his most recent start, he faced Philly, four hits, five innings, nine strikeouts. So if he does that again, Pavetta is going to need a lot more run support. Uh, Pavetta's capable of doing one or two earned runs, but if he only gets two earned runs or he only allows two, uh, he might not win that one. So I'm hoping Pavetta wins this one and stays, uh, lossless uh as a red sock and matt says a lefty so that that could pose some problems but uh it sounds like we all have the socks winning the series i would say at least two out of three two out of three all right they're all night games so that's good everybody uh who works a normal schedule can uh can uh watch the games and uh We'll be back in just 24 hours with Hot Take Tuesday. First time doing it on the Apple Podcast platform. Uh, So we will see you then. Take care.